Chapter Three, Part Two of Arcadian Adventures with the Idle Rich. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joelle Peebles. Arcadian Adventures with the Idle Rich by Stephen Leacock. Chapter Three. The Arrested Philanthropy of Mr. Tomlinson. Part Two. Well, said Dr. Boomer, after Tomlinson had left the university, what do you make of him? The president had taken Dr. Boyster over to his house beside the campus, and there in his study had given him a cigar as big as a rope and taken another himself. This was a sign that Dr. Boomer wanted Dr. Boyster's opinion in plain English, without any Latin about it. Remarkable man, said the professor of Greek. Wonderful penetration, and a man of very few words. Of course his game is clear enough. "'Entirely so,' asserted Dr. Boomer. "'It's clear enough that he means to give the money on two conditions.' "'Exactly,' said the President. First, that we admit his son, who was quite unqualified, to the senior studies in electrical science, and second, that we grant him the degree of Doctor of Letters. Those are his terms. Can we meet them?' "'Oh, certainly. As to the son, there is no difficulty, of course. As to the degree, it's only a question of getting the faculty to vote it.' I think we can manage it. Voted they did that very afternoon. True, if the members of the faculty had known the things that were being whispered, and more than whispered, in the city about Tomlinson and his fortune, no degree would ever have been conferred on him. But it so happened that at that moment the whole professoriate was absorbed in one of those great educational crises from which time to time shake a university to its base. The meeting of the faculty that day bid fair to lose all vestige of decorum in the excitement of the moment. For, as Dean Elderberry Foible, the head of the faculty, said, the motion that they had before them amounted practically to a revolution. The proposal was nothing less than the permission of the use of lead pencils instead of pen and ink in the sessional examinations of the university. Anyone conversant with the inner life of a college will realize that to many of the professoriate this was nothing less than a last wild onslaught of socialistic democracy against the solid bulwarks of society. They must fight it back or die on the walls. To others it was one more step in the splendid progress of democratic education, comparable only to such epoch-making things as the abandonment of the cap and gown and the omission of the word sir in speaking to a professor. No wonder that the fight raged. Elderberry Foible, his fluffed white hair almost on end, beat in vain with his gavel for order. Finally, Chang, of physiology, who was a perfect dynamo of energy and was known frequently to work for three or four hours at a stretch, proposed that the faculty should adjourn the question and meet for its further discussion on the following Saturday morning. This revolutionary suggestion, involving work on Saturday, reduced the meeting to a mere turmoil, in the midst of which Elderberry Foible proposed that the whole question of the use of lead pencils should be adjourned till that day six months, and that meantime a new special committee of seventeen professors, with power to add to their number, to call witnesses, and, if need be, to hear them, should report on the entire matter de novo. This motion, after the striking out of the words de novo, and the insertion of ab initio, was finally carried after which the faculty sank back completely exhausted into its chair, the need of afternoon tea and toast stamped on every face. And it was at this moment that President Boomer, who understood faculties as few men have done, 
quietly entered the room, laid his silk hat on a volume of Demosthenes, and proposed the vote of a degree of Doctor of Letters for Edward Tomlinson. He said that there was no need to remind the faculty of Tomlinson's services to the nation. They knew them. Of the members of the faculty, indeed, some thought that he meant the Tomlinson who wrote the famous monologue on the Iota subscript, while others supposed that he referred to the celebrated philosopher Tomlinson, whose new book on the indivisibility of the inseparable was just then maddening the entire world. In any case, they voted the degree without a word, still faint with exhaustion. But while the university was conferring on Tomlinson the degree of Doctor of Letters, all over the city in business circles they were conferring on him far other titles. Idiot, scoundrel, swindler were the least of them. Every stock and share with which his name was known to be connected was coming down with a run, wiping out the accumulated profits of the wizard at the rate of a thousand dollars a minute. They not only questioned his honesty, but they went further and questioned his business capacity. The man, said Mr. Lucullus Feisch, sitting in the mausoleum club and breathing freely at last, after having disposed of all his holdings in the Erie Auriferous, is an ignoramus. I asked him only the other day, quite casually, a perfect simple business question. I said to him, T.C. bonds have risen twenty-two and a half in a week. You know and I know that they are only collateral trust and that the stock underneath never could and never would earn a par dividend. Now, I said, for I wanted to test the fellow, tell me what that means. Would you believe me he looked me right in the face in that stupid way of his and he said, I don't know. He said he didn't know, repeated the listener contemptuously. The man is a damn fool. The reason of all this was that the results of the researches of the professor of geology were being whispered among the directorate of the Erie Auriferous, and the directors and chief shareholders were busily performing the interesting process called unloading. Nor did ever a farmer of Cahoga County in haying time with a thunderstorm threatening unload with greater rapidity than did the major shareholders of the Auriferous. Mr. Lucullus Feisch traded off a quarter of his stock to an unwary member of the Mausoleum Club at a drop of thirty per cent, and being too prudent to hold the rest on any terms, he conveyed it at once as a benefaction in trust to the Plutorian Orphans and Foundlings Home, while the purchaser of Mr. Feisch's stock, learning too late of his folly, rushed for his lawyers to have the shares conveyed as a gift to the Home for Incurables. Mr. Asmodeus Boulder transferred his entire holdings to the Imbeciles Relief Society, and Mr. Furlong, Sr., passed his over to a Chinese mission as fast as pen could traverse paper. Down at the office of Skinyer and Beatum, the lawyers of the company, they were working overtime drawing up deeds and conveyances and trusts in perpetuity, with hardly time to put them into typewriting. Within twenty-four hours the entire stock of the company bid fair to be in the hands of idiots, orphans, Protestants, foundlings, imbeciles, missionaries, Chinese, and other unfinancial people, with Tomlinson the Wizard of Finance as the senior shareholder and majority control. And whether the gentle wizard, as he sat with mother planning his vast benefaction to Plutoria University, would have felt more at home with his new group of fellow shareholders than his old, it were hard to say. But meantime, at the office of Skinyer and Beatum, all was activity, for not only were they drafting the conveyances of the perpetual trusts as fast as legal brains working overtime could do it, 
but in another part of the office a section of the firm were busily making their preparations against the expected actions for fraud and warrants of distraint and injunctions against disposal of assets and the whole battery of artillery which might open on them at any moment and they worked like a corps of military engineers fortifying an escarpment with the joy of battle in their faces the storm might break at any moment already at the office of the financial undertone the type was set for a special extra with a heading three inches high collapse of the erie consolidated arrest of the man tomlinson expected this afternoon skinyer and beatem had paid the editor who was crooked two thousand dollars cash to hold back that extra for twenty-four hours and the editor had paid the reporting staff who were crooked twenty-five dollars each to keep the news quiet and the compositors who were also crooked ten dollars per man to hold their mouths shut till the morning with the result that from editors and sub-editors and reporters and compositors the news went seething forth in a flood that the eerie auriferous consolidated was going to shatter into fragments like the bursting of a dynamite bomb it rushed with a thousand whispering tongues from street to street till it filled the corridors of the law courts and the lobbies of the offices until every honest man that held a share of the stock shivered in his tracks and reached out to give sell or destroy it only the unwinking idiots and the mild orphans and the calm deaf mutes and the impassive chinese held tight to what they had so gathered the storm till all the town like the great rotunda of the grand palaver was filled with a silent call for mr tomlinson voiceless and ominous and while all this was happening and while at Skinyer and Beatum's they worked with frantic pens and clattering type, there came a knock at the door, hesitant and uncertain, and before the eyes of the astounded office there stood in his wide-awake hat and long black coat the figure of the man Tomlinson himself. And Skinyer, the senior partner, no sooner heard what Tomlinson wanted than he dashed across the outer office to his partner's room with his hyena face all excitement as he said, beat him beat him come over to my room this man is absolutely the biggest thing in america for sheer calmness and nerve i never heard of anything to approach him what do you think he wants to do what said beat him why he's giving his entire fortune to the university by gad ejaculated beat him and the two lawyers looked at one another lost in admiration of the marvellous genius and assurance of tomlinson yet what had happened was very simple Tomlinson had come back from the university filled with mingled hope and hesitation. The university, he saw, needed the money, and he hoped to give it his entire fortune, to put Dr. Boomer in a position to practically destroy the whole place. But like many a modest man, he lacked the assurance to speak out. He felt that up to the present the benefactors of the university had been men of an entirely different class from himself. It was Mother who solved the situation for him. "'Well, father,' she said, "'there's one thing I've learned already since we've had money. "'If you want to get a thing done, "'you can always find people to do it for you if you pay them. "'Why not go to those lawyers that manage things for the company "'and get them to arrange it all for you with the college?' "'As a result, Tomlinson had turned up at the door "'of the Skinyer and Beatum office. "'Quite so, Mr. Tomlinson,' said Skinyer, "'with his pen already dipped in the ink. "'A perfectly simple matter.' I can draw up a draft of conveyance with a few strokes of the pen. In fact, we can do it on the spot. What he meant was, in fact, we can do it so fast that I can pocket a fee of $500 right here and now while you have the money to pay me. Now then, he continued, 
Let us see how it is to run. Well, said Tomlinson, I want you to put it that I give all my stock in the company to the university. All of it, said Skinyer, with a quiet smile to beat him. Every cent of it, sir, said Tomlinson. Just write down that I give all of it to the college. Very good, said Skinyer, and he began to write. I, so-and-so, and so-and-so, -and -so, of the county of so-and-so, Cahoga, I think you said, Mr. Tomlinson. Yes, sir, said the wizard, I was raised there. Do hereby give, assigned, devised, transfer, and the transfer is hereby given, devised, and assigned, all those stocks, shares, hereditaments, etc., which I hold in the etc., etc., all several and whatever. You will observe, Mr. Tomlinson, I am expressing myself with as great brevity as possible. To that institution, academy, college, school, university, now known and reputed to be Plutoria University of the city of etc., etc. He paused a moment. Now what special objects or purposes shall I indicate, he asked. Whereupon Tomlinson explained as best he could, and Skinyer, working with great rapidity, indicated that the benefaction was to include a demolition fund for the removal of buildings, a retirement fund for the removal of professors, an apparatus fund for the destruction of apparatus, and a general sinking fund for the obliteration of anything not otherwise mentioned. And I'd like to do something, if I could, for Mr. Boomer himself, just as man to man, said Tomlinson. All right, said Beatum, and he could hardly keep his face straight. Give him a chunk of the stock. Give him half a million. I will, said Tomlinson. He deserves it. Undoubtedly, said Mr. Skinyer. And within a few minutes the whole transaction was done, and Tomlinson, filled with joy, was wringing the hands of Skinyer and Beatum and telling them to name their own fee. They had meant to, anyway. Is that legal, do you suppose? said Beatum to Skinyer after the wizard had gone. Will it hold water? Oh, I don't think so, said Skinyer. Not for a minute. In fact, rather the other way. If they make an arrest for fraudulent flotation, this conveyance, I should think, would help to send him to the penitentiary. But I very much doubt if they can arrest him. Mind you, the fellow is devilish shrewd. You know and I know that he planned this whole flotation with a full knowledge of the fraud. You and I know it very good but we know it more from our trained instinct in such things than by any proof. The fellow has managed to surround himself with such an air of good faith from start to finish that will be deuced hard to get at him. What will he do now? said Beatum. I tell you what he'll do. Mark my words. Within twenty-four hours he'll clear out and be out of the state, and if they want to get him they'll have to extradite. I tell you he's a man of extraordinary capacity. The rest of us are nowhere beside him in which perhaps there was some truth. "'Well, mother,' said the wizard, when he reached the thousand-dollar suite after his interview with Skinyer and Beatum, his face irradiated with simple joy, "'it's done. I've put the college now in a position it never was in before, nor any other college. The lawyers say so themselves.' "'That's good,' said mother. "'Yes, and it's a good thing I didn't lose the money when I tried to. "'You see, mother, what I hadn't realized was the good that could be done with all that money "'if a man put his heart into it. "'They can start in as soon as they like and tear down those buildings. "'My, but it's just wonderful what you can do with money. "'I'm glad I didn't lose it.' "'So they talked far into the evening. "'That night they slept in an Aladdin's palace filled with golden fancies.' and in the morning the palace and all its visions fell tumbling about their heads in sudden and awful catastrophe. 
for with Tomlinson's first descent to the rotunda it broke. The whole great space seemed filled with the bulletins and the broadside sheets of the morning papers, the crowds surging to and fro, buying the papers, men reading them as they stood, and everywhere in great letters there met his eye, Collapse of the Erie Auriferous, the Great Gold Swindle, Arrest of the Man Tomlinson Expected This Morning. So stood the wizard of finance beside a pillar, the paper fluttering in his hand, his eyes fixed, while about him a thousand eager eyes and rushing tongues sent shame into his stricken heart. And there his boy Fred, sent from upstairs, found him, and at the sight of the seething crowd and his father's stricken face, aged as it seemed all in a moment, the boy's soul woke within him. What had happened he could not tell, only that his father stood there, dazed, beaten and staring at him on every side in giant letters, Arrest of the Man Tomlinson. Come, father, come upstairs, he said, and took him by the arm, dragging him through the crowd. In the next half hour, as they sat and waited for the arrest in the false grandeur of the thousand-dollar suite, Tomlinson, his wife, and Fred, the boy, learnt more than all the teaching of the industrial faculty of Plutoria University could have taught him in a decade, Adversity laid its hand upon him, and at its touch his adolescent heart turned to finer stuff than the salted gold of the eerie auriferous. As he looked upon his father's broken figure, waiting meekly for a rest, and his mother's blubbered face, a great wrath burned itself into his soul. When the sheriff comes, said Tomlinson, and his lip trembled as he spoke, he had no other picture of a rest than that. They can't arrest you, father, broke out the boy. You've done nothing. "'You never swindled them. I tell you, if they try to arrest you all—' And his voice broke and stopped upon a sob, and his hands clenched in passion. "'You stay here, you and mother. I'll go down. Give me your money, and I'll go and pay them, and we'll get out of this and go home. They can't stop us. There's nothing to arrest you for.' Nor was there. Fred paid the bill unmolested, save for the prying eyes and babbling tongues of the rotunda. And a few hours from that, while the town was still ringing with news of his downfall, the wizard with his wife and son walked down from their thousand-dollar suite into the corridor, their hands burdened with their satchels. A waiter, with something between a sneer and an obsequious smile upon his face, reached out for the valises, wondering if it was still worth while. "'You get to hell out of that,' said Fred. He had put on again his rough store suit in which he had come from Cahoga County, and there was a dangerous look about his big shoulders and his set jaw, and the waiter slunk back. So did they pass, unarrested and unhindered, through corridor and rotunda to the outer portals of the great hotel. Beside the door of the palaver as they passed out was a tall official with a uniform and a round hat. He was called by the authorities a chasseur, or a commissionaire, or some foreign name to mean that he did nothing. At the sight of him, the wizard's face flushed for a moment with a look of his old perplexity. I wonder, he began to murmur, how much I ought. Not a damn cent, father, said Fred, as he shouldered past the magnificence assure. Let him work. With which admirable doctrine the wizard and his son passed from the portals of the Grand Palaver. Nor was there any arrest either then or later. In spite of the expectations of the rotunda and the announcements of the financial undertone, the man Tomlinson was not arrested, neither as he left the Grand Palaver, nor as he stood waiting at the railroad station with Fred and Mother for the outgoing train for Cahoga County. There was nothing to arrest him for. That was not the least strange part of the career of the Wizard of Finance. 
for when all the affairs of the Erie Auriferous Consolidated were presently calculated up by the labors of Skinyer and Beatum, and the legal representatives of the orphans and the idiots and the deaf mutes, they resolved themselves into the most beautiful and complete cipher conceivable. The salted gold about paid for the cost of the incorporation certificate. The development capital had disappeared, and those who lost most preferred to say the least about it. And for Tomlinson, if one added up his gains on the stock market before the fall and subtracted his bill at the Grand Palaver and the thousand dollars which he gave to Skinyer and Beatum to recover his freehold on the lower half of his farm, and the cost of three tickets to Cahoga Station, the debit and credit account balanced to a hair. Thus did the whole fortune of Tomlinson vanish in a night, even as the golden palace seen in the mirage of a desert sunset may fade before the eyes of the beholder and leave no trace behind. It was some months after the collapse of the Erie Auriferous that the university conferred upon Tomlinson the degree of Doctor of Letters in absentia. A university must keep its word, and Dean Elderberry Foible, who was honesty itself, had stubbornly maintained that a vote of the Faculty of Arts, once taken and written in the minute book, became as irrefragable as the Devonian rock itself. So the degree was conferred, and Dean Elderberry Foible, standing in a long red gown before Dr. Boomer, seated in a long blue gown, read out after the ancient custom of the college the Latin statement of the award of the degree of Doctor of Letters. Eduardus Tomlinsonius ver clarissimus doctissimus pratissimus, and a great many other things all ending in isimus. But the recipient was not there to receive. He stood at that moment with his boy Fred on a windy hillside beside Lake Erie, where Tomlinson's Creek ran again untrammeled to the lake. Nor was the scene altered to the eye, for Tomlinson and his son had long since broken a hole in the dam with a pickaxe and crowbar, and day by day the angry water carried down the vestiges of the embankment till all were gone. The cedar poles of the electric lights had been cut into fence rails. The wooden shanties of the Italian gang of auriferous workers had been torn down and split into firewood, and where they had stood the burdocks and the thistles of the luxuriant summer conspired to hide the traces of their shame. Nature reached out its hand and drew its coverlet of green over the grave of the vanished Eldorado. And as the wizard and his son stood upon the hillside, they saw nothing but the land sloping to the lake and the creek murmuring again to the willows while the offshore wind rippled the rushes of the shallow water. End of chapter 3, part 2 Recording by Joelle Peebles